0: Chapter 11 of Erasmus and the Age of Reformation this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by olivia erasmus and the age of reformation by johann husinga translated by frederick jan hopman chapter 11 a light of theology 1514 to 1516 on the way to success and satisfaction. His prior calls him back to Stein. He refuses to comply. First journey to Basel, fifteen fourteen to fifteen sixteen. Cordial welcome in Germany. Johannes Froben Editions of Jerome and the New Testament. A counselor to Prince Charles Institutio Principius Christiani fifteen fifteen definitive dispensation from monastic vows fifteen seventeen fame. ERASMUS AS A SPIRITUAL CENTER. HIS CORRESPONDENCE. LETTER WRITING AS AN ART. IT'S DANGERS. A GLORIOUS AGE AT HAND. Erasmus had, as was usual with him, enveloped his departure from England with mystery. It was given out that he was going to Rome to redeem a pledge. Probably he had already determined to try his fortune in the Netherlands, not in Holland, but in the neighborhood of the princely court in Brabant. The chief object of his journey, however, was to visit Froben's printing office at Basel, personally to supervise the publication of the numerous works, old and new, which he brought with him, among them the material for his chosen task, the New Testament and Jerome, by which he hoped to effect the restoration of theology, which he had long felt to be his life work. It is easy thus to imagine his anxiety when, during the crossing, he discovered that his handbag containing the manuscripts. Was found to have been taken on board another ship he felt bereft having lost the labour of so many years a sorrow so great he writes as only parents can feel at the loss of their children to his joy however he found his manuscript safe on the other side at the castle of hamas near calais he stayed for some days the guest of mountjoy there on seven july a letter found him written on the eighteenth of april by his superior the prior of stein his old friend Servatius rogerus recalling him to the monastery after so many years of absence the letter had already been in the hands of more than one prying person before it reached him by mere chance it was a terrific blow which struck him in the midst of his course to his highest aspirations erasmus took counsel for a day and then sent a refusal to his old friend in addressing whom he always found the most serious accents of his being he wrote a letter which he meant to be a justification and which was self-contemplation, much deeper and more sincere than the one which, at a momentous turning-point of his life, had drawn him from his Carmen alpestra. He calls upon God to be his witness that he would follow the purest inspiration of his life, but to return to the monastery? He reminds Servatius of the circumstances under which he entered it, as they lived in his memory, the pressure of his relations, his false modesty. He points out to him— How ill monastic life had suited his constitution how it outraged his love of freedom how detrimental it would be to his delicate health if now resumed had he then lived a worse life in the world literature had kept him away from many vices his restless life could not redound to his dishonour though only with diffidence did he dare to appeal to the examples of solon pythagoras st paul and his favourite jerome had he not everywhere won recognition from friends and patrons he enumerates them cardinals archbishops bishops mountjoy the universities of oxford and cambridge and lastly john collet was there then any objection to his works the Enchiridon, the adagia he did not mention the moriah the best was still to follow jerome and the new testament The fact that since his stay in Italy he had laid aside the habit of his order and wore a common clerical dress, he could excuse on a number of grounds. The conclusion was I shall not return to Holland. I know that I shall not be able to stand the air and the food there. All eyes will be directed to me. I shall return to the country an old and grey man, who left it as a youth. I shall return a valitudinarian. I shall be exposed to the contempt even of the lowest i who am accustomed to be honoured even by the greatest it is not possible he concludes to speak out frankly in a letter and thence to rome perhaps but on my return i shall try to visit you i have heard of the deaths of william francis and andrew his old dutch friends remember me to master henry and to the others who live with you i am disposed toward them as befits me for those old tragedies i ascribe to my errors or if you like to my fate do not omit to commend me to christ in your prayers if i knew for sure that it would be pleasing to him that i should return to live with you i should prepare for the journey this very day farewell my former sweetest companion now my venerable father quote. underlying the immediate motives of his high theological aspirations this refusal was doubtless actuated by his ancient inveterate psychological incentives of disgust and shame through the southern netherlands where he visited several friends and patrons and renewed his acquaintance with the university of lavant erasmus turned to the rhine and reached Basel in the second half of august 1514. there such pleasures of fame awaited him as he had never yet tasted the german humanists hailed him as the light of the world in letters receptions and banquets they were more solemn and enthusiastic than erasmus found the scholars of france england and italy to say nothing of his compatriots, and they applauded him emphatically as being a German himself, and an ornament of Germany. At his first meeting with Froben, Erasmus permitted himself the pleasure of a jocular deception. He pretended to be a friend and agent of himself, to enjoy to the full the joy of being recognized. The German environment was rather to his mind. Quote, my Germany, which to my regret and shame I got to know so late. End quote soon the work for which he had come was in full swing he was in his element once more as he had been at venice six years before working hard in a large printing office surrounded by scholars who heaped upon him homage and kindnesses in those rare moments of leisure which he permitted himself quote, i move in a most agreeable museon, so many men of learning and of such exceptional learning End quote some translations of the lesser works of plutarch were published by Froben in august the adagio was passing through the press again with corrections and additions and the preface which was originally destined for baudius at the same time dirk mertens at levon was also at work for erasmus who had on passing through the town entrusted him with a collection of easy latin texts also monsieur Schreier at Strasbourg, who prepared a parabolae si similia for him for Froben too erasmus was engaged on a seneca which appeared in fifteen fifteen together with a work on latin construction but jerome and the new testament remained his chief occupation jerome's works had been erasmus's love in early youth especially his letters the plan of preparing a correct edition of the great father of the church was conceived in fifteen hundred if not earlier and he had worked at it ever since at intervals in fifteen thirteen he writes to ammonius my enthusiasm for amending and annotating jerome is such that i feel as though inspired by some god i have almost completely amended him already by collating many old manuscripts and this i do at incredibly great expense in fifteen twelve he negotiated with badius about an edition of the letters froben's partner johannes ammerbach who died before erasmus's arrival had been engaged for years on an edition of jerome several scholars Rucklin among others had assisted in the undertaking when Erasmus offered himself and all his material. He became the actual editor. Of the nine volumes, in which Froben published the work in 1516, the first four contained Erasmus's edition of Jerome's letters. The others had been corrected by him and provided with forewords. His work upon the New Testament was, if possible, still nearer his heart. By its growth it had gradually changed its nature. Since the time when Valla's annotations had directed his attention to textual criticism of the Vulgate, Erasmus had, probably during his second stay in England from 1505 to 1506, at the instance of Collet, made a new translation of the New Testament from the Greek original, which translation differed greatly from the Vulgate. Besides Collet, few had seen it. Later, Erasmus understood it was necessary to publish also a new edition of the Greek text with his notes. As to this, he had made a provisional arrangement with Froben, shortly after his arrival at Basel. Afterwards, he considered that it would be better to have it printed in Italy, and was on the point of going there when, possibly persuaded by new offers from Froben, he suddenly changed his plan of travel, and in the spring of 1515 made a short trip to England, probably among other reasons, for the purpose of securing a copy of his translation of the New Testament, which he had left behind there in the summer he was back at Basel and resumed the work of froben's printing office in the beginning of fifteen sixteen the novum instrumentum appeared containing the purified greek text with notes together with a latin translation in which erasmus had altered two great deviations from the vulgate from the moment of the appearance of two such important and as regards the second such daring theological works by erasmus as jerome and the new testament we may say that he had made himself the centre of the scientific study of divinity as he was at the same time the centre and touchstone of classic erudition and literary taste his authority constantly increased in all countries his correspondence was prodigiously augmented but while his mental growth was accomplished his financial position was not assured the years of fifteen fifteen to fifteen seventeen are among the most restless of his life he is still looking out for every chance which presents itself. A canonry at Tournay, a prebend in England, a bishopric in Sicily, always half-jocularly regretting the good chances he missed in former times, jesting about his pursuit of fortune, lamenting about his spouse execrable poverty, which even yet I have not succeeded in shaking off my shoulders. And, after all, ever more the victim of his own restlessness than of the disfavour of fate— He is now fifty years old and still he is as he says sowing without knowing what i shall reap this however only refers to his career not to his life-work in the course of fifteen fifteen a new and promising patron john Le Sauvage, chancellor of brabant had succeeded in procuring for him the title of counsellor of the prince the youthful charles v in the beginning of fifteen sixteen he was nominated it was a mere title of honour promising a yearly pension of two hundred florins which however was paid but irregularly to habilitate himself as a counsellor of the prince erasmus wrote the institutio principius christiani a treatise about the education of a prince which in accordance with erasmus's nature and inclination deals rather with moral rather than political matters and is in striking contrast with that other work written some years earlier il principe by machiavelli when his work at Basel ceased for the time being, in the spring of 1516, Erasmus journeyed to the Netherlands. At Brussels he met the Chancellor, who, in addition to the Prince's pension, procured him a prebend at Courtray, which, like the English benefice mentioned above, was compounded for by money payments. At Antwerp lived one of the great friends who helped in his support all his life, Peter Giles, the young town clerk, in whose house he stayed as often as he came to Antwerp. Peter Giles is the man who figures in Moore's Utopia as the person in whose garden the sailor tells his experiences. It was in these days that Giles helped Dirk Mertens at Leuven to pass the first edition of the Utopia through the press. Later Quentin Metzis was to paint him and Erasmus joined in a diptych, a present for Thomas Moore, and for us a vivid memorial of one of the best things Erasmus ever knew, this triple friendship. In the summer of 1516 Erasmus made another short trip to England. He stayed with Moore, saw Collet again, also Warham, Fisher, and the other friends. But it was not to visit old friends that he went there. A pressing and delicate matter impelled him. Now that prebends and church dignitaries began to be presented to him, it was more urgent than ever that the impediments in the way of a free ecclesiastical career should be permanently obviated he was provided with a dispensation of Pope Julius II, authorizing him to accept English prebends, and another exempting him from the obligation of wearing the habit of his order. But both were of limited scope, and insufficient. The fervent impatience with which he conducted this matter of his definite discharge from the order makes it probable that, as Dr. Allen presumes, the threat of his recall to Stein had, since his refusal to Servatius in 1514, hung over his head there was nothing he feared and detested so much with his friend ammonius he drew up in london a very elaborate paper addressed to the apostolic chancery in which he recounts the story of his own life as that of one florentius his half enforced entrance into the monastery the troubles which monastic life had brought him the circumstances which had induced him to lay his monk's dress aside It is a passionate apology pathetic and ornate the letter as we know it does not contain a direct request in an appendix at the end written in cipher of which he sent the key in sympathetic ink in another letter the chancery was requested to obviate the impediments which erasmus's illegitimate birth placed in the way of his promotion the addressee lambertus grunius apostolic secretary was most probably an imaginary personage So much mystery did Erasmus use when his vital interests were at stake. The Bishop of Worcester, Silvestrio Gigli, who was setting out to the Lantern Council as the envoy of England, took upon himself to deliver the letter and to plead Erasmus's case. Erasmus, having meanwhile at the end of August returned to the Netherlands, awaited the upshot of his kind offices in the greatest suspense. The matter was finally settled in January, 1517. In two letters, bearing the signature of Sadele, Leo X, condoned Erasmus's transgressions of ecclesiastical law, relieved him of the obligation to wear the dress of his order, allowed him to live in the world, and authorized him to hold church benefices in spite of any disqualifications arising from illegitimacy of birth. So much his great fame had now achieved. The Pope had, moreover, accepted the dedication of the edition of the New Testament, and had, through sadellet expressed himself in very gracious terms about erasmus's work in general rome itself seemed to further his endeavours in all respects erasmus now thought of establishing himself permanently in the netherlands to which everything pointed Levant seemed to be the most suitable abode the centre of studies where he had already spent two years in former times but Levant did not attract him it was a stronghold of conservative theology martin van Dorp, A Dutchman like Erasmus, and professor of divinity at Lauvan, had, in 1514, in the name of his faculty, rebuked Erasmus in a letter for the audacity of the praise of folly, his derision of divines, and also his temerity in correcting the text of the New Testament. Erasmus had defended himself elaborately. At present war was being waged in a much wider field, for or against Rochlin, the great hebrew scholar for whom the authors of the epistole Obscurorum Virorum had so sensationally taken up the cudgels at lovan erasmus was regarded with the same suspicion with which he distrusted dorp and the other lovan divines he stayed during the remainder of fifteen sixteen and the first half of fifteen seventeen at antwerp brussels and ghent often in the house of peter giles in february fifteen seventeen there came tempting offers from france Boudais, Cope, etienne poncher bishop of paris wrote to him that the king the youthful francis i would present him with a generous prebend if he would come to paris erasmus always shy of being tied down only wrote polite evasive answers and did not go in the meantime he received the news of the papal absolution in connection with this he had once more to visit england little dreaming that it would be the last time he should set foot on british soil anemonius's house of st stephen's chapel at westminster on nine april fifteen seventeen the ceremony of absolution took place ridding erasmus for good of the nightmare which had oppressed him since his youth at last he was free invitations and specious promises now came to him from all sides mountjoy and wolsey spoke of high ecclesiastical honours which awaited him in england Budeus kept pressing him to remove to france cardinal ximenez wanted to attach him to the university of alcala in spain the duke of saxony offered him a chair at leipzig perkeimer boasted of the perfections of the free imperial city of nuremberg erasmus meanwhile overwhelmed again with the labour of writing and editing according to his wont did not definitely decline any of these offers neither did he accept any he always wanted to keep all his strings on his bow at the same time in the early summer of fifteen seventeen he was asked to accompany the court of the youthful charles who was on the point of leaving the netherlands for spain but he declined his departure to spain would have meant a long interruption of immediate contact with the great publishing centres basel louvain strasbourg paris and that in turn would have meant postponement of his life-work when in the beginning of july the prince set out for middleburg there to take a ship for spain erasmus started for louvain he was thus destined to go to this university environment although it displeased him in so many respects there he would have academic duties young latinists would follow him about to get their poems and letters corrected by him and all those divines whom he distrusted would watch him at close quarters but it was only to be for a few months i have removed to louvain he writes to the archbishop of canterbury till i shall decide which residence is best suited to old age which is already knocking at the gate importunately as it turned out he was to spend four years fifteen seventeen to fifteen twenty one at louvain his life was now becoming more stationary but because of outward circumstances rather than of inward quiet he kept deliberating all those years whether he should go to england germany or france hoping at last to find the brilliant position which he had always coveted and never had been able or willing to grasp the years fifteen sixteen through fifteen eighteen may be called the culmination of erasmus's career applauding crowds surrounded him more and more the minds of men were seemingly prepared for something great to happen and they looked to erasmus as the man at brussels he was continually bothered with visits from spaniards italians and germans who wanted to boast of their interviews with him the spaniards with their verbose solemnity particularly bored him most exuberant of all were the eulogies with which the german humanists greeted him in their letters this had begun already on his first journey to Basel in fifteen fourteen great rotterdamer ornament of germany ornament of the world were some of the simplest effusions town councils waited upon him presents of wine and public banquets were of common occurrence no one expresses himself so hyperbolically as the jurist ulrich Zasus of freiburg I am pointed out in public he asserts as the man who has received a letter from erasmus thrice greatest hero you great jove is a moderate apostrophe for him the swiss zwingli writes in fifteen sixteen accounted a great glory to have seen erasmus i know and i teach nothing but erasmus now writes wolfgang capito Ulrich von Hutten and Henry Clarianus both imagine themselves placed beside Erasmus as Alcibiades stood beside Socrates, and Beatus Rianus devotes to him a life of earnest admiration and helpfulness that was to prove of much more value than these exuberant panegyrics. There is an element of national exultation in this German enthusiasm for Erasmus. It is the violently stimulated mood into which Luther's word will fall anon the other nations also chimed in with praise though a little later and a little more soberly collet and tunstall promise him immortality etienne poncher exalts him above the celebrated italian humanists germain de brie declares that french scholars have ceased reading any authors but erasmus and bodeus announces that all western christendom resounds with his name this increase of glory manifested itself in different ways almost every year the rumour of his death was spread abroad malignantly as he himself thinks again all sorts of writings were ascribed to him in which he had no share whatever amongst others the epistole Obscurorum Virorum. but above all his correspondence increased immensely the time was long since past when he asked more to procure him more correspondence letters now kept pouring in into him from all sides beseeching him to reply a former pupil laments with tears that he cannot show a single note written by erasmus scholars respectfully sought an introduction from one of his friends before venturing to address him in this respect erasmus was a man of heroic benevolence and tried to answer what he could although so overwhelmed by letters every day that he hardly found time to read them if i do not answer i seem unkind says erasmus and that thought was intolerable we should bear in mind that letter-writing at that time occupied more or less the place of the newspaper at present or rather of the literary monthly which arose fairly directly out of erudite correspondence it was as in antiquity which in this respect was imitated better and more profitably perhaps than in any other sphere an art even before fifteen hundred erasmus had at paris described that art in the treatise de conscribendis epistolis which was to appear in print in fifteen twenty two people wrote as a rule with a view to later publication for a wider circle or at any rate with the certainty that the recipient would show the letter to others a fine latin letter was a gem which a man envied his neighbour erasmus writes to Bodeus, tunstall has devoured your letter to me and reread it as many as three or four times i literally had to tear it from his hands unfortunately fate did not always take into consideration the author's intentions as to publicity semi-publicity or strict secrecy often letters pass through many hands before reaching their destination as did servetius's letter to erasmus in fifteen fourteen do be careful about letters he writes more than once waylayers are on the lookout to intercept them yet with the curious precipitation that characterizes him erasmus was often very careless as to what he wrote from an early age he preserved and cared for his letters yet nevertheless through his itinerant life many were lost he could not control their publication as early as fifteen o nine a friend sent him a manuscript volume of his own erasmus's letters that he had picked up for sale at rome erasmus had it burnt at once since fifteen fifteen he himself superintended the publication of his letters at first only a few important ones afterwards in fifteen sixteen a selection of letters from friends to him and after that ever larger collections till at the end of his life there appeared a new collection almost every year no article was so much in demand on the book market as letters by erasmus and no wonder they were models of excellent style tasteful latin witty expression and elegant erudition the semi-private semi-public character of the letters often made them compromising what one could say to a friend in confidence might possibly injure when many read it erasmus who never was aware how injuriously he expressed himself repeatedly gave rise to misunderstanding and estrangement manners so to say had not yet adapted themselves to the new art of printing which increased the publicity of the written word a thousandfold only gradually under this new influence was the separation effected between the public word intended for the press and the private communication which remains in writing and is read only by the recipient meanwhile with the growth of erasmus's fame his earlier writings too had risen in the public estimation the great success of the Enchiridion Militis christiani had begun about fifteen fifteen when the times were much riper for it than eleven years before the moriah is embraced as the highest wisdom writes john watson to him in fifteen sixteen in the same year we find a word used for the first time which expresses better than anything else how much erasmus had become a centre of authority erasmiani so his german friends called themselves according to johannes Sapidus. more than a year later dr johannes eck employs the word still in a rather friendly sense as a generally current term all scholars in germany are erasmians he says but Erasmus did not like the word. I find nothing in myself, he replies, why anyone should wish to be an Erasmicus, And, altogether, I hate those party names. We are all followers of Christ, and to his glory we should all drudge, each for his part. But he knows that now the question is, for or against him. From the brilliant Latinist and the man of wit, of his prime he had become the international pivot on which the civilization of his age hinged. He could not help beginning to feel himself the brain the heart and the conscience of his times it might even appear to him that he was called to speak the great redeeming word or perhaps that he had already spoken it the faith in an easy triumph of pure knowledge and christian meekness in a near future speaks from the preface of erasmus's edition of the new testament how clear did the future look in those years in this period erasmus repeatedly reverts to the glad motif of a golden age which is on the point of dawning perennial peace is before the door the highest princes of the world francis i of france charles king of spain henry VIII of england and the emperor maximilian have ensured peace by the strongest ties uprightness and christian piety will flourish together with the revival of letters and the sciences As at a given signal, the mightiest minds conspire to restore a high standard of culture. We may congratulate the age, it will be a golden one. But Erasmus does not sound this note long. It is heard for the last time in fifteen nineteen, after which the dream of universal happiness about to dawn gives place to the usual complaint about the badness of the times everywhere. End of chapter eleven recorded by Olivia.